the second reading is Psalm 115, and it's on page 642 of the Pew Bibles. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven, he does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Marlene. Well, friends, we've uh, reached a stage where our youngest, Ethan, has started school. And so all our kids are in school, so we've been told this might mean freedom for us. No more nappies, no more feeding, no more bathing, no more toilet training. But it might be stressful. There's boyfriends now and girlfriends and wedding coming up. It's a stressful time for us. But anyway, it's good to be back, good to be serving and a privilege to share God's word with you this morning. And as Chris has shared, uh, Chris has been looking at the attributes of God and we will continue that today. Considering the glory of God, we only know about the glory of God from what God has revealed in scripture. And so let's turn to God in prayer, asking for his help that we might understand his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us and as you speak, you reveal to us you and your will and your character and so help us to understand that more deeply today, that we might live rightly and in response to that uh, accordingly in a way that glorifies you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it is the first Sunday that I've been back since going on holidays and during our holidays, one of our weeks, we went to Phillip Island. We did this walk along the cliffs at Nobby Centre, some of you have been there, and you stand and you watch the power of the sea, the strong waves crushing over the rocks, and it gives you this sense, this feeling, isn't that glorious? And then at night time in the country, you, you can't see this in, in the city, in the country you look up in, at the clear sky and you see that the blazing stars shining in the pitch blackness and and at Phillip Island, you can even make out the Milky Way. And, and, and you look at that, you wonder, and you get this feeling. Isn't that glorious? And then after that, uh, Phillip Island, we went to Portsea for a few days. We did a bike ride along Port Nepean. And we came across this beach. The waters were pristine. 
the, the beautiful turquoise blue was crystal clear. And you see that, you see the wonder, you marvel and you get this sense, this feeling. Isn't that glorious? And then we got back to Melbourne. I had a date with Yvonne without the kids and I thought, let's try to be romantic. So I took her and we watched Star Wars. <laughs> and what a glorious movie. Uh, a few nights ago we watched a bit of tennis, five long sets, the semi-finals of the men, long rallies displaying their excellent skills, their power, their endurance. What a glorious game. And then yesterday I helped out with uh, quite a few of us at the Ross's house at uh, a working bee, did some cementing, uh, carried these wheelbarrows, chopped down some trees and did a lot of hard manual labour. And the end product? A cattle water trough. Just looked like a hole in the ground. But it was glorious, that was our sweat. For today. Well, I thought I'd add that in because I was told yesterday if you help out today, you'll find some sermon illustrations in your hard work and there you go. That's the sermon illustration from that hard work. But have you noticed that we use that very same word to describe God? God is glorious. I mean, what do we mean by that? Do we mean that God is powerful like the sea? That God is like the stars in the night sky? That God is like that concrete hole in the ground? What do we mean when we describe God as glorious? What does the glory of God mean? I mean, we pray about it too, don't we? The Lord Jesus taught us, pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is, let your name be honoured. Let your name be glorified. And we sing about it too, don't we? We sang a few songs today. To God be the glory, great things you have done. And we teach it to our kids as well, don't we? To glorify God. Now when we as a family go on long trips in the car and the, and the kids are a bit rowdy in the background, uh, I say to the kids, uh, let's do something fun. I, I suggest to them, how about we play a game, we, we learn the Westminster Shorter Catechism. <laughs> Always goes down well. We're only about number six out of a hundred, whatever. But what's the first one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism? What is man's chief end? And man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Even the reformers, they made a big thing about it. They had these five solas, uh, faith alone, scripture alone, grace alone, Christ alone, and glory to God alone. But what does it all mean? What does it mean to speak of the glory of God? What does it mean to describe that God is glorious? We describe God as glorious, we pray that God will be glorified, we sing about the glory of God, we teach our kids that you must glorify God. We are taught by the reformers and what we uphold as this church in the tradition of the reformers, we teach, we uphold, we practice God, glory to God alone. But what does it all mean? Or perhaps more importantly, why should we? glorify God? Why must we glorify God? Why must our whole existence be about God? Can't he just leave us alone? Why must it be about glorifying God? But that's what we'll see this morning as we consider this psalm. And so do have your Bibles to Psalm 115. So what does it mean when we speak of the glory of God? When we say glory? Well the word glory or the adjective glorious refers to the things of great beauty 
of splendour, of magnificence, of majesty, like the sea, like the stars, like that cattle water trough. Or it can refer also to people of great honour, of prestige, of renown. And so when we speak of the glory of God, we're actually saying all of those things. We're saying that God is all that is beautiful and majestic and splendid and great and magnificent. And we're also saying that God is of great honour and prestige and renown. We're saying all of those things, but actually we're saying more. You see, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for glory, it actually just means heavy or weighty or worthy. And so that's why when we worship God, when we, we, we bow in worship to God, we're recognising the glory of God. We're recognising the worthiness of God, the weightiness of God, the glory of God. And you see, in the whole universe, there is nothing that comes close to the glory of God, to the worthiness of God, to the weightiness of God. And you see, that's what this psalmist recognises and wants us to recognise as well. So let's have a look. Verse 1. The psalmist says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And so what does that look like? Well, for an Israelite, we've just won this war, this battle against the enemies. We've defeated them, we've crushed them. But, but not, not, not to me, Lord, not to me, but to you be the glory. Or perhaps today, I just got a promotion at work and my salary jumped 20%. What well, this psalmist is telling us, not to me, O oh Lord, not to me, but to you be the glory. Or, or I've just done well in my exams, my VCE, I've got ducks off school. And this psalmist is teaching us, not to me, Lord, not to me, to you be the glory. You see, whatever glory there is, whatever honour there is, this psalmist is telling us, rightly acknowledging, it belongs to God alone. But of course we must ask, why should the glory go to God? Now, if I was the one who went to battle as the commander and I won the war, why should the glory go to God? Why should the praise go to God alone if I was the one who worked my guts off to get that promotion? Why should the honour go to God if I was the one who was so disciplined throughout the year and did my studies well? But it reminds me of this episode from The Simpsons. This was my childhood, The Simpsons. In one of these episodes, the father, Homer Simpson, just before dinner, he asked his son, Bart Simpson, to say grace. Before dinner. And this was the prayer of Bart. He, he prayed, Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. I mean, everyone at that dinner table was in shock horror. And so we must ask, why must we glorify God? If we did the heart yards, well, you see, it is because by virtue that God is the creator and we are his creatures. He deserves all the glory. He is our maker. He's the one who gives us life. He's the one who sustains us. He's always more worthy, more weighty than we are. He said he made us and he made everything we see and feel and touch and smell and whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, God owns us and we owe our life to him. You don't have to be a Christian and that remains true. 
And not only that, when we achieve greatness as human beings, human beings have achieved a lot of greatness throughout human history and when we do achieve greatness, it is only because God enables that. You see, all glory goes to God. God deserves all the glory and honour. But here this psalmist recognises something more than God as creator. He also sees something of the character of God, the attributes of God, what God is like, and that is glorious. So have a look at verse 1. We'll read it again. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Now, now these, these words here, perhaps more precisely, the word love here is the steadfast love of God. It is the grace of God. It's the, the Old Testament version, the Hebrew version of the Greek word grace. And the word faithfulness here is also the word truth. It's the truth of God. And so the glory of God is seen in his character, what he is like. One of steadfast faithfulness and truth. Now, for those of us who are familiar with the scriptures, where have we seen God being described in that way? The one who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. Where else is God described in that way? Well, in our first reading, in Exodus, to Moses. You see, Moses in this story, in Exodus, he wanted confirmation of God's presence, that God would go before the people. And so he asked God, you know, we want, we, we want to know for sure. And God said, okay. But you see, for Moses it wasn't enough. And so he audaciously asked God, well, show me your glory. Show me your glory. He didn't trust God's word, it wasn't enough. He wanted to see God's glory. And so what did God say? Well, God said, okay. Exodus 33, God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But then God goes on to say to Moses, but but you, Moses, you can't see my face. I am holy. You will die if you see my face. And so what I'll do is I'll place you in a cleft on the rock and as I pass, I'll cover, cover you with my hand. And once I've passed, I'll remove my hand and you'll see the trailing edge of my glory. And so what happened in chapter 34? Well, God passed. God did do that and Moses got to see God thundering past the trailing edge, only the trailing edge of the glory of God. He only got to see the back of God. And what was that glory? Well, it wasn't just what he saw, you see. Do you remember in that reading? It was what he heard. What he heard, the thundering proclamation, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, that is the glory of God. That is who God is, the one who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so why should we glorify God? Well, you see, this is the God who not only made us, but this is the God who makes these covenant promises to undeserving sinners like us. This is the God who is steadfast in his love. He is committed to his promises. This is the God who is abounding in faithfulness and truth. Moses, he experienced that. Abraham, he experienced that. Noah, he experienced that. 
And throughout the Old Testament, as you continue to read, you see God continually revealing himself as the one who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then when we get to the New Testament, what do we see? Well, when we get to the fourth gospel, gospel, the Gospel of John, if you have a quick Bible flipper, you can turn to John chapter 1. What do we see? John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. We read, In the beginning was the Word. Now for those of us, we know that this Word refers to Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God. He was eternally with God. And this Word was God. That is, this Word, Jesus, is divine. He is divine as God is divine. And he was with God in the beginning. And then jump to verse 14. The Word became flesh. God, Jesus, the Son of God, became a man and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. People get to see the glory of God now. And what do we see? The glory of the one and only who came from the Father. And what's this glory? Full of grace and truth. It's the same word we see in the Old Testament. Full of steadfast love and faithfulness. And so you want to see the glory of God, what God is like, how God deals with people, how God loves people? Well, you look to Jesus. You want to see the steadfast love of God, the grace of God? Well, you look to Jesus. You see the glory of God. You want to see the faithfulness of God, the truth of God? Well, you look to Jesus. And what do you see? When you, when you follow the story of Jesus long enough, you get to the end of the Gospel, and what do you see? where you see the glory of God displayed most gloriously. And when was that? But the glory of God was seen most spectacularly, most gloriously in the death of his son on the cross. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus says, my my time of glorification has not yet come. He's referring to his death on the cross. And when he came, that was the time of his glorification. You look at that, you see the glory of God. Because when you look at the cross of Christ, what are you seeing? You're seeing the steadfast love of God. You're seeing the grace of God. You're seeing God's love for sinners. And what else are you seeing? You're seeing the justice of God, his punishment for sin. They come together at the cross. You see the glory of, the, of God. And so at the cross of Christ, there you see what God is really like, most gloriously. And so why should God be glorified? Well, not just because he's created that is sufficient, that is enough for us to glorify God with our lives. But more than that, the Son of God bears the scars of death for humankind, for me and you. That is why we glorify God. But then what has this world done with this God who is steadfast in love and faithful and true? Well, they mock they taunt this God. They scoff at this God. I mean, they, they raise this, this insulting question. Turn back to Psalm 115 again. What do they ask in verse 2? They say, where is their God? That is, where is your God? Where is your God? It's a taunt. I can't see him. What is your God up to? Look at this world. It's in a mess. What is your God doing? You see, it's a taunt. It's making mockery out of God. And how does this psalmist respond? Well, verse 3. Our God is in heaven. What do you think? Of course our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. He's God 
You are not. He makes the calls. He calls the shots, not you. You see, this is the God of the universe, the God who made everything, the God who gives life. But what are the gods of this world like? The gods that we've made up, imagined and created. Well, we see that here. We notice these ironies, the ironies that so many in our world are blinded from. Have a look, verses 4 to 8. But their idols are silver and gold. I mean, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he likes. Their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of man. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who made them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. See, just imagine what God is thinking at this point. He's the creator, he's in heaven, he does whatever he likes, he looks down on earth upon us, earthlings. And what is God thinking? What are you guys thinking? What are you earthlings thinking? Just come to your senses already. I mean, you're bowing down to blocks of wood. You're worshipping, you're giving glory to lumps of stone. They don't love you. They can't provide for you. They don't care for you. They can't save you. There's nothing more foolish, more perverted, more evil than that, replacing the creator with things we've created with our hands. Now, it's interesting to, to read and notice what happens around the world where, where people do worship all sorts of different idols and statues. In Taiwan, where they worship many traditional folk gods. They worship a whole stack of them. But when these gods, these idols, fail to deliver, whatever that might be, a baby, wealth, a house, the, the statues of these traditional folk gods are sometimes beaten with a stick. Isn't that interesting? They've made this god, they've bowed down to it, now this god is not delivering, so they're beating their god with a stick. It's like a parent teaching their god isn't it? You get in line now, you better deliver, I'll hit you some more. I mean, that's, what do you do with these idols? But our God, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. He is God and you are not. But you see, idols do take many forms, don't they? I mean, just consider the idols of our land, the idols of Australia. I mean, there are still Idols made out of wood and stone and today plastic set up in little shrines, you see them around. But financial security has become an idol for many. Reputation and status has become an idol for many. Body image has become an idol for many. But you see, they're no different to those wooden idols. They're just as dumb, they're just as blind, just as deaf, just as heartless, just as lifeless. You don't give that thing glory, do you? You see, money does not give you your worth. Your reputation, your status does not give you your worth as a person. Your chiselled body, pecs and six-packs and all those things does not give you your worth. You know what gives you your worth? God does. He made you in his image you cannot be any more worthy than that. God made you in his image, so we glorify him. 
So how do we go about glorifying God? Well, this psalmist tells us, if God is really the one who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness, then how do I glorify God? I trust in him and I praise him. That's what we see. I trust him and I praise him. We glorify God by trusting him. He is steadfast in his promises. We don't trust idols. We don't trust ourselves. And so we see in verse 9, trust in the Lord. That is the core. He is their help and shield. Verse 10, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Verse 11, trust in the Lord. That is the core. He is their help and shield. And what will he do? Well, he will bless. Verse 12, he will bless. Verse 13, may you be blessed. Verse 15. I mean, just think about that. And just think about what we've done with idols. Just try trusting, putting your whole existence into your financial security and wealth instead of God. When the economy collapses and you've lost your super and your wealth, well, who is going to be there to be your help and strength? Your wealth won't be. Or just try trusting in your reputation, your status, yourself instead of God. When your relationship fails, when the boyfriend, girlfriend leaves, when the husband or wife leaves, who is going to be your help and shield? Your status? It can't help you. Or try trusting in that block of wood, that lump of stone instead of God. When you're suffering, when you're going through hard times, when your heart is broken, when you've experienced loss, who is going to be your help and shield? That lump of stone? Of course not. But you see, for us, People now living on the other side of the cross. This psalm was written before Jesus. For us living on this side of the cross, that trust in God should be all the more easier. You see, the Son of God came, the Word of God came, and he now bears the scars of death, that we might be blessed, blessed in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That's what Paul tells us. We're blessed with the forgiveness of sins. We're blessed with reconciliation with God. We're blessed with eternal life. We're blessed with heaven. And we're blessed by being adopted into the very family of God so that we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. We glorify God by trusting in him. And finally here we see we glorify God by praising him. That is, we speak of the glory, of the wonder, of the greatness of God. We proclaim it. And as we proclaim it, we invite those around us to do the same. You see, to praise God is not just an individual thing between me and God. It's actually an invitation to others to join in as well to praise God. And so we see in the final verse, It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord, which is really the word hallelujah. And so we glorify God by trusting him. By praising him. Now, as I was thinking about this sermon and the implications of this sermon while, while doing some concreting and the things I was doing this week, what are the implications for us as Christians? What are the implications for us as a church this year, 2016? Well, I'd like to draw out some implications. I would love, I would want, and I'm sure you do too, that our church... This year, 
will be a year where we will glorify God like never before. Wouldn't you want that? That this year I'll glorify God more so than last year. Wouldn't you want that? We'll glorify God in everything we do. It doesn't stop as we leave the church doors. We don't stop glorifying God. It doesn't stop when we catch the train to school. It doesn't stop as we drive our way to work. It doesn't stop as we study, as we work, as we rest, as we play. It doesn't stop as we meet the atheist friend, the family, the colleague. But we glorify God in everything we do. And wouldn't you want that? That is what we are called to do. And so how might that look like for you this year? How might that look like for us as a church to glorify God this year? Well, I'd like to suggest two things. Firstly, this year, let it be a year where we glorify God by thinking less of ourselves and more of God. I become small and small and smaller. God becomes greater and greater and greater. Let it be a year where we start to think less of ourselves and more of God. And so as I plan my week, my month, my year, as I look at my calendar, who am I thinking about? My holidays, my work, my time off, my personal development. Or how about... How might I glorify God with the time he has given me? How might I use the precious time God has entrusted to me? God can take it away any time. What are things I can commit to this year with my time, with my efforts, for the sake of the church, for the glory of God? Who should I pray for, encourage, nurture, mentor, disciple, to build them up? It will take time, it will take effort. But who will I do that for this year? And as I think about my finances, my budget for this year, as I spend my money this year, who am I thinking about? Well, let me suggest, let's think less of ourselves and more of God. Should I be thinking my new wardrobe? Autumn is coming. Fashion changes. My investments, my portfolios, my creature comforts my leisure, my super? Or how about how might I invest all this that God has entrusted to me? Remember, God has entrusted that to you. It's not yours. All those things belong to God. You belong to God. But God has entrusted that to me. How might I invest all those things that will last beyond the grave? How might I share generously with what I have, with what God has given me. How might I live sacrificially, deny my creature comforts, follow Jesus to the cross, carry the cross daily. Jesus did not say, come follow me, but carry your jacuzzi, your going cross the necklace. Jesus said, carry your cross, deny yourself. How might I give sacrificially, like what Jesus did, like what I'm called to do, to glorify God? I mean, just think about that. One day we'll all meet the king and it's not anyone's place to please anyone else. We'll all meet the king of the universe. We won't answer to anyone else. You don't answer to me as your minister, to Chris as your minister. You don't answer to the church. We all stand before God, the king of the universe, and we answer to him. 
God won't be saying, oh, how you spent all your time and all your efforts and all your energy on yourself. Oh, how you squandered all the wealth I've given you on yourself. Oh, good and faithful servant. What do you think? Of course God's not going to say that. I mean, at that point I've come to realise I've wasted my life. I've wasted my life, how? By living for myself. How terrible a feeling that would be. How shameful a feeling that would be. But good and faithful are you if you think less of yourself and more of God. That's how we can glorify God this year. And secondly, lastly, this year, let it be a year where we think more of others because of God. We think more of those around us because of God. I mean, Jesus taught, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. And so I do want to ask this church, are there people in this church, in this Christian family, that you don't even know the name of and you don't really care? I mean, if that's true, come on. How does that glorify God? Are there people in this local church family that you will not invite over to your place because they are different? You won't show hospitality to because they are strange. Come on. How does that glorify God? Are there people in this place, in this local church family, that you would refuse to speak to because three years ago they said something which hurt you? Come on. How does that glorify God? I mean, our King, Jesus Christ, bears the scars of death for us. How can we not bear a little of each other for the glory of God? And just imagine what that will be like for this church this year, a church that is so countercultural, so generous, so giving, so serving, so humble, so forgiving, so caring, so loving, so hospitable, that when the world looks upon us and watches us, they will want to join in and glorify our God. I mean, wouldn't you want that for our church? Wouldn't you want that? And so let this then be what we remember. The reformers taught us, to God alone be the glory. And let this be what teaches us, this psalm, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Amen. Let's pray.